This is Marginalia, a production of KMUW Wichita. Marginalia. Notes in the margin of a book. Notes, commentary, and similar material written in the margin of a book. Comments and notes which are incidental incidental or additional to the main topic. topic in the margin of a book. When Lisa Tadeo's nonfiction debut, Three Women, was released in 2019, readers were hooked. Shifting gears, Tadeo went on to release her first novel, Animal. But she wasn't quite done exploring genres. Her newest release, Ghost Lover, is a short story collection that dives into topics like body image, sexual assault, and the nature of desire. I recently spoke with Lisa Tadeo about this new release, called The Final in a Literary Trifecta, about her love of short stories, how she explores feminism, and the universality of her writing. I'm Beth Golay, this is Marginalia, and here's our conversation. So normally I ask authors to give a description of their book, but with this story collection, that can be difficult. With any story collection, it can be difficult mm-hmm. because, I mean, I absolutely love reading short stories, but interviews can be tricky because how do you, you know, it feels like we're maybe jumping around from story to story. So I wonder if I can maybe talk about your progression as a writer, because your first book, Three Women, is nonfiction. Your second, Animal, is a novel. And now this latest release, Ghost Lover, is a collection of stories. And I I saw the three described as a literary trifecta. (laughs) So talk to me about writing these three types of books. And, you know, was the trifecta something you had planned? Not really. Um, I I certainly never planned to write nonfiction, in fact. So if anything, the things that were planned would have been the novel and the stories. Uh, I've been writing short stories since I was a kid. It's been my sort of passion my whole life. I wish more people read short stories so I could talk to them about it. I have, even amongst my own writing community friends, I have like friends who will talk to me about nonfiction, friends who will talk to me. I mean, I'm talking about fellow authors, authors who only care about novels. And then there's people who only care about short stories. So for me, I, I care about the whole panoply. I also obviously am involved in screenwriting. I really like taking on different forms. It feels like it gives me more freedom to explore different thoughts and obsessions. And sometimes nonfiction is the best place for it. And sometimes a novel is. And, and sometimes for me, a short story is this like one knowable entity that you can read on, you know, a train ride or uh, a short subway ride or, um, and and sometimes the best short stories can kind of convey the meaning of life within a sentence. I also think that, you know, short stories are so, uh, because they're shorter, you you take more time with each sentence. And I'm a big fan of, of sentences that can kind of tell you a whole story of a lifetime in in one. And that's my favorite thing to read and to write. So does your nonfiction inform your fiction writing? Um, I mean, certainly uh, things that I've written about in Three Women, things that did not make it into the book, characters that didn't make it into the book certainly did and will, I assume, still find their way into fiction uh it informs it in the sense that it's the same person writing it you know with the same kind of obsessions and 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 issues and questions about life so in that way yes so your writing style has been described as a a singular voice exploring the depravity of human nature and breaking down the barriers of what feels taboo 
And, you know, you frequently dive into topics like body image and women comparing themselves to each other and, and sexual assault and topics that millions of women experience every day. So how do you choose to approach these sometimes sensitive issues? Well, for me, I think that there's this, it's just to bring in body shaming as an example. We're in this sort of space right now in our culture where body shaming is not okay, which is, of course it's not. And, and of course that's amazing. But what I think is also happening is that there's this, you know, there's obviously a culture of toxic positivity as well that, you know, people talk about. For me, the issue with um, the antithesis of body shaming is that when somebody does, you know, I'll use myself as an example. I was in a, a workout class with a few of my friends the other day and we're, you know, all in our forties now and things don't work the way that they should and pounds don't melt away the way that they did when we were younger. We were kind of all in like different parts of this room, like groaning about, you know, like super easy exercises that we could have done years ago in our sleep. So ghost lover for me is kind of, uh, there's a lot of satire about the way that we talk about our bodies and also about the way that we're not allowed to talk about our bodies. So it's one thing to not body shame other people, but I think it's another thing to be able to say out loud the things that we're feeling and thinking and not to bottle them up because we're in a place where if we do that, it's like anti-feminist. I think saying anything is anti-feminist is kind of an anti-feminist thing to do unless it's really, truly anti-feminist. It's really, I think that judging other women for the way that we look at ourselves is not the right tack. Uh, I think in general, for me, talking about the things that hurt us and scare us is a way to make other people feel seen and heard and, and less alone. And it's also triggering for some other people. So it's just kind of like, you know, it's, it's hard to find the line of what will trigger one person and make someone else feel seen and, and heard and, and safer in knowing that there's other people out there experiencing and talking about the same thing. I do consider that line, but I also err on the side of talking more and saying more than I do about holding back. How did you select what stories would be in this collection? Because I assume there are more. Yes, um, there's more and, and there's more that I really loved and it was a hard thing to do. It's, you know, I think it's hard in any, um, in any like art, right? When you're trying to decide what you like and what other people will like and what most people will like. And it's kind of a, difficult thing. And even just kind of taking a survey amongst my team, my agent, my editor, uh, and other people who, who helped me with the stories, there were so many different, like, oh no, definitely this one. Definitely not that one. Definitely this one. And they were all like totally different and who wanted what. So ultimately, you know, I leaned on my editor a lot for what his sort of thoughts were and, and my agent. And um, yeah, I mean, I tried to make it a combination of what I liked the best and what I thought other people would like. And there was also the question early on of, you know, I had written other stories that aren't, you know, most of these stories are told from the POV of a woman who is, who has either lost something or wants something or desperately desire something. 
but there were other stories that I, I wrote, you know, a while back and since then, and there was like my first story for Esquire was um, reported fiction, it was called, about the last days of Heath Ledger. So, uh, you know, there was a sort of range and it was a question kind of of, do we want more of a range or do we want it to feel more like they're sort of interconnected and like, you know, uh, and, and so that was another question and we ultimately went with it being more about, you know, this sort of female POV, which I, you know, I'm, 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 I'm happy about. I think it was a good decision. You know, since you're talking about point of view, I also want to ask about perspective. I mean, what's the process? What's your process for deciding how each story is going to be told? Oh, yeah. Because the first story, the title story, Ghost Lover, is written through second person mm -hmm. point of view. And, and we don't see that as often in short stories. So mm -hmm. can you talk to me about perspective and the role it plays when you're telling a story? Yeah, I mean, it's one of my favorite things to talk about. I love second person, for starters. I wrote that story, actually, it was the first story I wrote for my MFA workshop at Boston University. And our process was each class, one or two students would have their stories workshopped. And when that story was workshopped, there was one person in the class who was like, I felt like you were talking to me and it was very like offense. I just felt offended the whole time. And I thought that was really interesting because I mean, obviously the second person is incredibly divisive. It's incredibly arresting and it, it can make someone feel a certain thing. If like, if there's a true statement about the reader in there, like you just had a granola bar and you're like, shit. I just, she, I mean, shoot, I just had a granola bar. How did she know that kind of a thing? It's like, it can be difficult, but for the same reason, I think it can also be really holistic. And, you know, I also chose to write in the second person when I introduced the Maggie character in my first book, Three Women. The reason I did it there is because I wanted the casual reader and, and the reader who would be primed to not believe her story to have to climb out of her POV in a sense in order to not believe her. So that was what I used it for there. In, in fiction, in Ghost Lover, I used it because it felt like to go back to your sort of initial question, which I didn't answer, um, was that I, I felt like it was the right way to tell that story. I felt like that that character wanted to be addressed in that way and wanted to wanted to there's also something to, to using the second person which I think brings you really close to the reader in a way that you can't that and first person as a close second you know pun intended is um is the best way to to get to get close to the reader and I really like being close to the reader I like feeling like we're you know doing it together in a sense even when it's even when it's really dark I'm fascinated by some of the behind the scenes decisions. And so, you know, you were talking about the decision of which stories were in the book, but I'm curious also who decided the order that the stories should appear because, you know, should readers read them in that order? Is there one story that you feel, you know, especially connected to that you hope readers will read that they, you know, if they just have to choose just one, which one should they read? <laughs> That's a really interesting question. Um, regarding the order, that was mainly, I believe it was mainly my editor. 
um, who said something to the effect of, this is purely subjective, so feel free to do whatever, but I feel like it should go like this, this, and this. And then he gave us reasons for why. And I was like, oh, that makes a whole lot of sense. So that, that's it. That's the order it'll be in. And his reasons were kind of, you know, like this, they were sort of like, he took into account the age of the narrator and, you know, switching them up and things that felt a little bit like he kind of was trying to mix up all of the pieces. So I, and I really liked it. Uh, I think in terms of like, what story would I want people to read? I mean, I, I really do love Ghost Lover. I, I, I love that story a lot. I think it's really fun. And I really love um, Suburban Weekend. And I really like Beautiful People are probably my, my th- I also really like Grace McGorian, which is another um, type, which is kind of very different, I think, than some of the others. Um, so I would say, you know, I guess, I guess Beautiful People is, is one of my favorites in there. And we would have to read A Suburban Weekend to make sense of the cover a little bit as well. <laughs> yes, that's exactly right. Um, it's, it's uh, so yes, um, the cover is a, a tin of Italian candies that one of the characters, Fern, in Suburban Weekend has a tin left over from her mother who has recently passed away. And she eats one every time she does something bad. And when she gets to the end of the tin, her plan is to kill herself. So as I was reading these, I'm in a short story reading group. And oh, oh my gosh, that's so cool. It's called Ennui because it was just, you know, started at the beginning of the pandemic when we were just feeling like we needed to do something. And as I was reading these stories, I would finish one and I would think, oh, I'm going to recommend this one to Ennui. I'm going to make them read this one. And then I'd read the next story and think, oh, no, I need to have them read that one. And it just progressed like that through the entire book. Because you talked about being able to you know, capture a life in a single sentence, or, you know, you you wrote about, I just felt like there were so many truths in these stories. And I found myself relating to so many things from, you know, I'm second guessing my use of ellipses, and I have guilt every morning when I throw away my egg yolks. So sorry. (laughs) I mean, for what it's worth, those are the same things that I have guilt and fears about. So (laughs) I, you know, I would read a sentence and ask aloud, like, what? And then I'd underline it because they're just, and I'm flipping through my book and there are so many sentences and it's like, I can't even ask a question about this. I just underlined this sentence for myself. So I'm wondering, do you have an ideal reader? Do you have, you know, did you create this book for a a certain type of of reader? That doesn't even feel like it's a fair question. I think that's a great question. Um, I think you might be my ideal reader. (laughs) No, but I mean, um, you know, it's funny you should say that because someone said of my work, I'm forgetting who it is, but I really, it was so meaningful to me that um, it feels like I'm writing in code to certain women. And I felt like, you know, I don't like go in there thinking I'm writing in code, but I think that's a really true statement of a lot of my writing. Cause I think that it can be very, I think that certain people can see the satire of it and understand 
you know, that it's not like I'm making these judgments. It's that I have these judgments. I've heard these judgments. And I think airing these judgments and saying them out loud will take the power and breath away from them. And I think people who understand that intrinsically are my sort of ideal readers. But I'm also really, honestly, to people who don't kind of get it and not like get it like if you don't get it you're not intelligent it's not even that it's just like there's just different life experiences that would make us not get a type of writing or or, or an author or hate it or whatever so the people who don't quote unquote get it or or like it um those are those are readers i love hearing from too because i find it really interesting the 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 sort of subsets of what is going to make one person angry is going to make another person feel seen. And I am like so interested in that. It, it's really, um, it's really something that I, then you can, and I, I'm so fortunate to be able to hear that from people, um, even the negatives, it feels like it's giving me another layer of understanding about my writing and, and more importantly, humanity. That was Lisa Tadeo, author of Ghost Lover, which was published by Avid Reader Press. Thanks for joining us for Marginalia. If you enjoyed this podcast, please leave us a review. Marginalia was produced at KMUW Wichita. Our engineers are Mark Statzer and Torin Anderson. Our editor is Luann Stevens. Our producer is Haley Krausen, and our marketing assistant is Carly Cooper. This is Marginalia, and for KMUW, I'm Beth Golay.